Hey everyone, welcome back to the Thought Cafe. It's Nikhil, Donna, and Mira. In this episode, we're going to be talking about parenting, uh, specifically strict parenting. And just to emphasize, these are stories that are not about us personally, but about just the general facts and studies that we found. Um, so quickly before we get into the episode, just as a short disclaimer, um, as usual, all three of us are teenagers, um, and everything that we talk about is going to be based off of studies and research, but we're not experts by any means. All of these sources are going to be cited on our website at thethoughtcafepodcast.com, and you can find the links to that website, you know, through Google or through all of our social media, um, and our handle is at thethoughtcafepodcast on Instagram, TikTok, or Facebook. But, you know, just to reiterate, we're not experts, um, and our opinions are liable to change. You know, we're like 16, 15. As we grow older, things will definitely change, but this is it. That was such a good intro. When I tell you, it takes us like seven tries to get an intro down. (laughs) Really? I was like, Nikhil sounds like he's being held at gunpoint. Just my energetic voice. At least none of us like broke down laughing. (laughs) So, okay. Um, per usual, um, you guys should know by now, we always have a little question to get to know us a little bit better um, before we dive into the content of our episodes. So this week, um, since we're talking about parenting, we thought it would only be, you know, right if we um, tried to describe what kind of kid each of us would have. Like, would they be that pain in the ass that everybody else hates? And it's like, oh, no, that kid's coming to the birthday party or, you know, the really quiet kid. I don't know. So um who should we start with first? Uh, let's get started with you, Mira. Oh, no. Uh, I feel... <laughs> it's always something bad. <laughs> no, I feel like Mira's child would be delightful. Um, no, that is a complete lie. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I, I think your child would. In all honesty, I feel like you're such an interesting person that I cannot imagine you raising your child to be anything but like an interesting person i feel like they would i feel like you would encourage them to you know go after things that really interest them and i know you are interested in anthropology and you know just like the wildest things and i cannot imagine them being anything but just like a tiny mira that's also doing cool things and just doing what they love oh that's so sweet <laughs> that is so sweet <laughs> You're getting <clap> for the... <laughs> I'm like a nice person guys <laughs> nice person award of 2020 2021 <laughs> Okay. Oh, that's really sweet. I appreciate that. I mean, that probably means my child will also be cult obsessed, which I don't know if I would want that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, that was very sweet. I feel like your kid. I mean, I don't know if this is just because you have red hair, but you know Harry Potter. What are those kids called? Is it Ronnie? The Weasleys. The Weasleys. The Weasleys. Yeah, I feel like they'd have that type of personality. I mean, I didn't watch Harry Potter. I watched like two movies. I don't know if they have good personalities, but I can just. Imagine they that. all have different personalities. You know that, right? There's multiple. Okay. All right. Nine of them. Which one is Harry Potter's best friend? Ron. Oh yeah. Okay. Ron. I feel like your kid would probably be like Ron. No, he's the worst. I hate oh, Ron. Yes? How dare you? No, I would want him to be the like worst. the twins. I would want if I had a kid, I would want them to be like the twins. Because Mira, the if your children were like Fred and George Weasley, you would disown them. 
I would, but they'd be so fun to be around. <laughs> no, they would not. You would just you could not be Molly Weasley. You would rather put your children up for adoption before you were Molly Weasley. <laughs> or Arthur Weasley for that matter. Okay. I don't know. I just feel like Ron is such an annoying character. Anyway, we should have a different Harry Potter episode. But um I guess Donna. Yeah, let's do Donna. Nikia, what do you think? <laughs> I feel like Donna's kid would definitely be the one to like win the spelling bee or like win some like National Geographic competition. I don't know. Or like, do they have a history bee? I think. Yeah, they have yeah. like computer competitions. I feel like history bee like number one. Like we definitely see him or her on TV or they on TV, and it'd just be Donna like sitting in the back clapping, like a nonchalant clapping, like I'm going to this. Like if you didn't win, then no, you're not worth it. <laughs> I feel like Donna's kid would be the kid who's like really interesting to talk to at parties but would also be like kind of snarky and annoying so like like, that kid would come up to you and try to explain your profession to them and for the first first five minutes you'd be really into the conversation but like after 10 minutes you're just like annoyed of talking to them yeah definitely i can see my kid just being like pure and like you know adam ruins everything you know how adam like kind of goes around just being like an annoying little shit like deeply intelligent but pure annoyance yeah i see that is it like that show Little Shelton? Is that the show? Yeah, he would be like Little <laughs> Donna's kid would be Little Sheldon. All right, Nikhil. Oh no. Your child. <laughs> this is gonna be bad. I'm so sorry, but your child, I can see them very easily just kind of being a dumbass. What? No. Really? No. I can see that I can see, you know, like that kid that's just constantly like at least from a very young age and maybe they'll grow up to be you know much more intelligent and much more mature and maybe like quietly very wise but from a very young age i can see your child just being stupid just straight up being stupid you know really i disagree i feel like if nikhil had a kid the kid would be like a mini nikhil and it would just be like whenever you talk to the kid you'd be like holy shit am i talking to nikhil like not in like like i feel like nikhil would just like make like a tiny clone of himself Okay, but from like a young age, like three-year-old Nikhil's child would just be perpetually confused. I can't see any other thing. I feel like they would just be like the same person. Like, really goofy at three years old. That'd be really fun. (laughs) I mean, maybe I don't know. Anyway, we should get into the content, I guess. Um, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, who wants to explain what we're talking about today? Okay, so just to kind of get into all of this, I think that there's some really interesting psychological ramifications that we're all pretty fascinated by because, again, we're going much beyond personal stories and more into, like, the science of all of this. I think you guys found some really interesting studies on this stuff. But, yeah, I guess I'll just get into it. Um, So I was looking into authoritarian parenting, as Donna mentioned, and then specifically, um, I guess I'll just define it really quickly. The study that I'm using defines authoritarian parenting just basically like your strict parent, parent who uses strict control and discipline to shape their child. Um, When the child breaks a rule or does something that is not in line with the parent's wishes, the parent responds quickly and in some cases harshly with punishment. There's little discussion or give and take between the parent and child. Communication is one way, etc. You know, your normal like strict parent. Anyway, so the study that I'm using is Coven's and Sulman's 2019 study, again, all linked on our website. Um, And they have found in summary, I guess, that authoritarian parenting compared to other types of parenting, like authoritative parenting, um, 
authoritarian parenting leads to poor academic achievement, depressive symptoms, and like worse mental health outcomes, and poor social skills compared to those other parenting mechanisms. And I think we just wanted to explore um, whether or not we, I guess, agree with the findings of the study and how our studies kind of correlate with one another. So Nikita, what did you find? Well, back to your say, I think it's actually kind of interesting that like, I think most people normally think that strict parents or kids would actually do better in school. So I find that pretty cool in the study because like even in most uh, districts or school districts that are, they're like one dimensional, right? Like they either do really good at studies or like one thing. I don't think there's any school that's like completely does well in everything. So I think it's pretty interesting that strict parents wouldn't have as much academic success as others. I would definitely be inclined to agree. I think that you know, just to kind of take the ultimate stereotype, you do see a very large Asian stereotype of having very strict parents, but then you also see a correlation of a lot of Asian communities do, like typical Asian communities with, you know, stereotypically strict parents then do really well. And in fact, there was an NCBI article that examined the kind of paradox, because, you know, Mir talks about how a lot of studies find that authoritarian parents then lead to, you know, really bad mental effects and not doing too well. But then there's also a paradox of how you do see Asian communities, specifically immigrant Asian communities, thrive despite the fact that they have strict parents. Yeah, and I thought that was really interesting, again, while reading the study, um, because, you know, of course, we all know the stereotypes. But from my understanding, the reason you see these poor academic achievements is because of the mental health repercussions, um, because you're seeing children of authoritarian parents, you know, have struggle with things like insomnia, um, anxiety, depression, things like that. Um, at the In the end, their academic achievements are actually lower than children who don't have those mental health issues. And I do think that kind of leads to a conversation about, do you see, you know, really successful Asian communities then grow up, like, despite the fact that they've had maybe, like, academic or quantifiable successes, do they have an increase of mental health problems and do they go undiagnosed is that something we see well that was one of the things that i thought was interesting about what you said when does i feel like there's a point when the thriving stops for asian communities like you go through high school right and your success is based off how well you do on tests and things like that but when does it stop because when can like the strict regimen of doing something just again just again a or something like that when does it stop in life i mean i don't really know um the study that i looked at really focused on younger children. I think it said between the ages of nine and 18. I might have to double check that or <clears throat> you can double check me on that again with our um, with the source on our website. But um, I think it is specifically targeting younger children. So I think that would be really interesting to explore. And I think we can maybe try to analyze that from what we know from the success of other countries and nationalities in general. But I, this study specifically does not go into that. Yeah, I think maybe one thing relating to it about when it stops is, so you guys know about the growth mindset that they always teach us in school and things like that. Oh, and no. I think, <laughs> I know, I know everyone does explanation like, for what. The yeah, so the growth mindset is basically that not, so like maybe there's three kids in a class and one is a lot smarter than another child. It's not because it's in their genes or their brain was just naturally so much better than the other person. But the growth mindset says that's because they've done math for longer and they were taught at an earlier age. And so what? I think, is that not what That's it is? A growth mindset. Growth what mindset is, is like the idea that if you're encountering a problem, let's say in math class, and you don't know how to solve it, 
you don't just like give up or like cheat or something. It's that you try to use the resources given to you. And like you use like that, that was always my understanding of it. Yeah, the growth okay. mindset is very much facilitated by were you raised by parents that said it's okay if you failed and you can try again and do better and teachers that said the same thing? Or were you raised by someone that said that's good, you are smart and kind of put a cap on your abilities as opposed to giving you room to grow, essentially. Oh, I never thought about it like that. Okay, that's I mean, you might be right, but that's just not how I ever understood yeah. it. Well, I think even if it's not right, there's still some truth to that, that like maybe some kid who's better at math than like third grade has been learning it for longer, or I don't know, maybe it could be something like that. So I know I talked about this before, but the book I'm reading about child prodigies, and it talks about how most child prodigies don't always go on, or they go on a lot less than the percentage of regular people to change the world. And I think that could be because that they have strict parenting from such a young age, and that they've been like drilled with this regimen of being good good and good about having like just a to-do list to do that they don't really think outside of the box to change Wait, anything. there's actually have you got uh there's actually a really interesting um malcolm gladwell book that talks about this um malcolm Bla- gladwell uh, malcolm gladwell's book david and goliath talks about this whole idea of having children that don't necessarily follow the rules it doesn't really go into the parenting that they have but it talks about how low-income kids don't really follow the rules And despite the fact that they may be disobedient, they then succeed a lot in life because they kind of take on this culture of disobedience and that benefits them and like not really listening to what their elders say. And that way they can pursue like larger opportunities and do better things because they don't really obey the rules and manage to create their own paths. Well, I think the idea of how like economics and class kind of determine like in parenting maybe that's a conversation we can have later in the episode but kind of going back to what you were saying a little bit earlier Nikhil about like child prodigies in schools um <laughs> kind of I, I swear this is on topic but have you seen this like TikToks or like videos or whatever of like kids who are like tell me you were uh what's it called not like a, like a gifted student in like <laughs> elementary middle school without <laughs> telling me you were a gifted student or whatever or like yeah yeah. so like were you guys ever and then also all those like videos saying like kids who were like considered gifted students in elementary middle school then like coming to high school and when they don't have those gifted programs anymore like failing because they're not having those same like I don't even know what it's called but like rewards or like whatever have you guys heard about that at all yeah, I think that might have to do with, I don't know if this is strict parenting, but strict parents, they often, when their kids do well, they often like feel like they're a lot better than other people. And that was actually one of the things, actually leads into this other thing I found about how strict parenting, it leads um, their kids to believe more in power dynamics rather than everyone being on an even playing field. And I think that could come into play because I know a lot of schools, even our school has things where there's an accelerated math program or an accelerated program for something else. So when they go into high school and they're not in a class where they don't feel like, oh, like they don't have a label on their class that says they're better than everyone else, then maybe they don't feel like trying anymore because 
they might feel that why are they doing this if they're not better than everyone else? There is actually a brilliant study organization and the name of it is eluding me currently, but promise it'll be sourced on our website that actually examines different cultures and risk aversion. And it basically looks into like, how much do you want to take risks and how much have you been trained to be like behaviorally, you know, on point as a society. And for example, take like New York, you know, New York is the stereotype of like not really giving a fuck, like kind of disobeying orders versus take, you know, like New York is very much known for being like, I thought that was LA. LA is like full of pricks. <laughs> no, I thought New York was full of pricks. Yeah, but New LA York's full of pricks that do stuff. Um, yeah, I know right. But <laughs> anyways, the study basically com- then compares, you know, like a kind of New York culture to a kind of culture that, for example, if you look at something in Japan, you know, J- the um, Japanese populations are much more as a society trained to be much more respectful of authority and be much more respectful of their elders. And it basically talks about how when you have these two different cultures, you have to look at them and you have to look at how successful they are, not only with within each other, like how respectful are they in terms of upwards mobility, but also in terms of national growth, how well are they doing and how well do they succeed? It is a fascinating experiment and I urge everyone to check that link out on our website. I think that it just talks so much about exactly how well you can map out success when you have exact behavioral points plotted down for specific cultures and locations. So does that start at the parenting level? Did it talk, did the study say anything about that? So like it starts from parents or is that something that maybe starts from like the schools or like just, you know, It's very much enforced by, like, everyone around you. You know, like, if you are a parent, if you as a parent have been raised by your school system to believe, you know, to, like, be very deferential to your authority figures, then you will also parent your children to do the same thing. It's very much like a cross-generational kind of embedded mentality, one that, you know, Japanese and Asian cultures kind of have much more deference to the people that are older than them, and American authorities don't have that nearly as much. Do you remember the results of the study if New York was better than Japan? or? Well, it wasn't necessarily that one was better than the other. It was just kind of plotting them in like a chart of like how well do they do. There was, for example, this is kind of going off topic, but it then looked into the number of airplane crashes that you would see. And it was basically that pilots, for example, from one country would try to land their airplane and you would have like New York authorities be like, no, like you're breaking the rules right now. Like, and it goes into this whole study of like, if you need something in an emergency, they would go to New York airports and be like, please, we need this. And New York would be like, absolutely not. That's against like the system that we have in place right now, like go out. And then you would see like crashes happen because you weren't allowed to like use help in times of emergency. And they would then have to train these, um, you know, for example, they would have to train these pilots to be like, no, fuck you. Like I need this base right now it's an emergency and then you would see this kind of like acquiescence to this new understanding of oh no like if i want to make my point there's got to be no deference to the authority system it's have to be like no this is me i need help right now and help me right now or else something bad is going to happen it's very complicated so at the end of the day though so those parents are parenting based off of the way that they were raised like societally right so but is that inherently like an issue with the parenting like because I think what we were talking about with authoritarian parenting in a lot of ways 
like maybe in like Asian cultures, authoritarian parenting is more of a societal trait, but there are definitely like, um, you know, authoritarian parents who aren't only Asians, you know, um, where authoritarian parenting might not be a societal thing. Um, and so my question is then, is it then like an issue with authoritarian parenting that leads to those increased par- like plane crashes or whatever? Or is it just like the societal, you know, perception of authority and things like that? Like, does it tie back to parenting it's definitely the root of it is a societal perception of authority so i do think you know like i i think this is a very complex conversation to have and i don't think you know you can very much simplify in terms of strict parents and not strict parents because you know we are talking about some really massive things and obviously plane crashes is just one tiny facet of a much larger conversation about how cultures interact in general but um no, I would agree with you. I would say that this isn't so much like strict parents independent of any other factors, but just how do cultures grow and interact? Yeah, I think that's a good place just to take a quick pause before we get into our next segment. Uh, you can chillax and listen to our lo-fi music and take a minute or so to think about what we've been talking about. Hey guys, welcome back to the second half of our episode. Um, We're basically talking about strict parenting and authoritarian parenting. Um, So the first half of this episode was spent, you know, talking about the psychological ramifications. Um, You know, for example, we took a look at uh, strict parenting and mental illness. Uh, We had a little segment on plane crashes, which I realized later was completely unrelated to what we were talking about, but fuck all of you. Um, Anyways. That was aggressive. Wow. <laughs> Shook parents be like, no. <laughs> I think um, Donna, actually, you're talking about this during the break, but she has something really interesting about the economics of strict parenting and things like that. Yeah, so kind of moving away from all the stricter psychological parts of it, I think that there is some really fascinating economic ramifications to strict parenting, and there's a lot of economic tells to it, too. For example, there is a Berkeley study that looks into this, and it talks about how you see strict parenting is kind of necessitated by your social class. So people that kind of live in lower income places will have stricter parents because they can't afford to be anything but strict parents. You know, if you don't have a lot of money, you can't really afford to have your kid fucking around all the time. You really need them to, you know, like study well, do well in their classes so that they'll grow, go to a good college and make a ton of money to bring you out of the class that you're in. But besides that, um, I was reading a New York Times article, and then the article mentions um, an economist, James Heckman. Um, he won a Nobel Prize. <laughs> um, and um, basically, he has compiled a, an impressive array of evidence suggesting that broad investments in children between the birth, their birth and age three are crucial for long-term outcomes, basically meaning parents who literally invest more money in their kid, whether that be not necessarily just buying them more toys, but like, I don't know, parents who spend more money around their kid, whether on education, uh, you know, extracurricular activities, you know, material belongings, things like that actually impacts, you know, their success later on in life, um, which I thought was really interesting. And um, I feel like the two 
you know, kind of going hand in hand because how are you supposed to expect your child to bring you out of, you know, poverty if, you know, you don't have the money to spend on them. But then, I don't know, I just feel like it's like an endless vicious cycle. Um, what do you guys think? Uh, yeah, I think it makes sense, but I'm, I feel like there might be some things that aren't worth investing or like, I feel like there might be some negative things you can invest that might lower their chances of being successful later in life. Like what? Like what? Um... Like, I wouldn't I, buy them bad yeah. stocks. Like, yeah, yeah that would literally <laughs> bad investing, but. I feel like if you spend money on everything your kid wants, I mean, it's good if you have the money for it, but like for the average family in America, like the middle class, lower class, I feel like you can't always invest that much. And I still feel like some super successful people aren't always from the high class. From the upper class oh yeah no so absolutely more always, always means better well i think that kind of goes into you know i hate to sound like i'm keep i keep on bringing it back but really malcolm gladwell steven and goliath is fascinating when it talks about this stuff where it talks about you know like fighting off your circumstances and kind of again disobeying authority to get to a higher better position in life and i think that's kind of relevant when we talk about the economics and psychological ramifications and how they are tied together. I think you can have a really interesting conversation about how if you grow up in a lower income neighborhood, you're kind of forced to fight off your circumstances regularly and it teaches you a culture of disobedience that can then lead to you doing better and more well-off things once you grow older. Like if you look at success, like unique success stories, you see tragedy and um, conflict in childhood that was then fought off. Yeah, I think a great example is Jeff Bezos. Like in his congressional testimony, I pulled it up right now, but his mom had him when he was 17 and he never lived in like this super like, he didn't even live in the middle class. I think he was lower class because his mom was only 17. And I think he fought through that to now be, is he the richest man in the world or is it still Bill Gates? He's close enough. But I think, yeah. I don't think you can look at one example like Jeff Bezos, like because I mean, there are millions of people who are in poverty or in lower classes who face hardships, maybe like Steve Jobs did, but you're not seeing millions of Steve Jobs just running around, you know, making millions. So I don't think it's fair to look at, you know, one man's insane success story and be like, these hardships are good because it'll push you to be like Jeff Bezos. Because like, no, that's not the reality for the majority of people. There's actually, I think... While we're talking about Jeff Bezos, um, his daughter wrote a book called Small Fry. And in Small Fry, it talks about how, oh, not Jeff Bezos, sorry, wrong person. It is the CEO of Apple, Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs' daughter wrote a book called Small Fry, where she talks about how her father recognized that she didn't have to struggle for success the same way that he did, because, you know, he struggled for success and then got rich as fuck as a result of kind of learning this culture of disobedience and then getting to a better place in life because of it and he would try to replicate those circumstances so for example like he wouldn't give her heating in like cold winter or something like that or he would take away kinds of small comforts that he himself had attained in an attempt to teach her that she needed to be better um i i don't think that's necessarily indicative of you know like then she became like the next steve jobs and she became amazing and i think it's kind of indicative of how struggling for success does not mean you'll attain that success like mira's saying you know 
I think besides that too, like there's so many other factors that go into Steve Jobs's or Jeff Bezos' Jeff Bezos's success. I hate I can't pronounce words today, but um, you know, besides their parenting and their circumstances, and I just I don't think. Yeah, I, I'm just repeating myself here, but I don't think you can equate the two. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you can equate it, but I think it's definitely a formula of some hardships because I think if you look at everyone, if you look at even Einstein, right? Didn't he was adopted, right? And then he was thrown out of school in high school, I think. And I mean, obviously, they're like one in a million examples, but I think there's some some of the most successful people aren't just because I mean, maybe because some of the most successful people I think always have to come from at least struggling through something like Donna said before. So I don't know if you can directly relate it, but there has to be at least some form of struggle, I think, in their life. And I think it is important to mention that when we talk about these successful people, we're kind of ignoring the nepotism here. You know, we're ignoring all the rich people that just kind of got a leg up. And we're talking solely about the people that made it from a middle class or like a lower class family and then made it to a ridiculously high place in life. And it was because of some kind of struggle. Yeah, again, I don't know, though, because, like, I, I, I just, I don't think, there are so many other facts, I mean, I don't know enough about Steve Jobs or um, Jeff Bezos's, li- I can't say his name, like, <laughs> um, their their lives, but um, I, I just, I don't think, there was definitely, like, yes, maybe some level of struggle pushed them forward, but then actually, you know, I have a question, so, you mentioned that you talked about Jeff Bezos' book. Did he specifically say that the struggle came? Because again, kind of tying it into the theme of our episode. Did the struggles come from his parenting and the situations that his parents set him up for? Or was it, again, a societal issue that we kind of mentioned during Donna's plane crash? During Donna's plane crash. I own the plane crash now, guys. Thank you for that. Wait, you mean Jeff Bezos' testimony or Steve Jobs' book that Donna was talking about? either i don't really know <laughs> i I'm, well, I i'm not I don't. it definitely wasn't a societal thing because that is not quite the thread we're going on but i think something that the situ like a circumstance or a situation that was created because of the situation he was personally in you know like being from a lower income Okay, but that doesn't come from strict parenting. It wasn't his parents who set him up for success. It wasn't, you know. Well, one thing Jeff Bezos says, this is a quote from his testimony. He says, when you're in the middle of nowhere, you don't pick up a phone and call somebody. When something breaks, you fix it yourself. And he says, as a kid, I got to see him solve. He's talking about his father and he learned from his father how to solve what he thought were these unsolvable problems. So I feel it definitely teaches you something that middle and high class don't have. They definitely have a mindset and some... I mean, obviously, they don't have the same leg up that the upper class has with all their money for college and like education and investing in their children as lower class does. But I feel like they definitely have some extent. It doesn't have to be all the way that they're super poor and they don't even have a house. But I think some extent might help them give them a small leg higher in something else. They don't have obviously have a lot better leg up than the upper class, but I feel like they do have some small learning thing. But again, a poor parent doesn't have to mean, I guess, I, I don't, it doesn't have to be an authoritarian parent, right? Yeah, I don't think, I think we've kind of moved away from, like, I think in these examples of talking about, like, struggling through lower income backgrounds, I think we've kind of moved away from, you know, necessarily strict parents and just what does struggling as a child lead to when you grow up, which is fair, moved away from our theme, but I do think it is a pretty fascinating analysis. 
Well, Donna, you mentioned an index earlier. Um, yeah, so... In the episode. So do you want to go into that a little bit more and tie maybe the two together? Yeah, so I do think that the Genie Index ties all of the stuff together pretty well. Because, so the Genie Index, it's also called the Genie Coefficient, by the way. It basically ranks the level of countries' inequality. And then after it ranks their levels of inequality, it then basically looks at how well are they doing um financially and the gini coefficient basically ranks like based off of how poor are you um how well are you doing financially in terms of national growth so there was a study done by i believe dr Furdom. um the washington post has a fascinating article where he discusses the analyses of the study and he says that your hard work and the amount of work that you do because your parents kind of necessitate that is lower based off of how financially well off you are so rich countries have less strict parents, basically, and thus you see less work output being given from them. Mm-hmm. But obviously those rich countries in most cases are rich because their economy is doing well, because that means they have a certain amount of hard workers and I think smart people to create good companies for those countries that help increase the value of their GDP and things like that. So is that in any way a sign that at some point maybe there is like a need for a shift or like maybe that authority at some point authoritarian parenting isn't needed like how how are you analyzing that data i would say that the way i look of it look at it is kind of indicative of well again i do think that we're looking at just a tiny piece of data in a gigantic conversation about how do you know countries rise and fall on an international level But I would say that the way I personally kind of place this data within the way I look at the world is just that there's constantly going to be a vacuum of power and we're all constantly working to be number one. And I think when you're at the bottom, you naturally work harder to be number one. And when you're at the top, you feel less of that need. So, you know, while generationally you do have, you know, like if you're a rich country, you already have all those legs up. You aren't fighting to go higher. You're just kind of like, okay, so financially we're doing pretty well off. So let's just work within the system. Whereas I think people that don't have the system already working for them are thus incentivized to work much harder and work outside of the system to kind of become higher and better people. I would say that the genie index for me just kind of talks about how no country is ever permanently at the top because we're always working to reach the top. What do you think, Nikhil? I think it kind of represents family too, how you're talking about these countries and things like that and how, I mean, I don't think every family is trying to be like a billionaire, trying to be the number one richest person, but I think everyone, because I think there's a, it's not a quote or something, but it's like some expectation. I don't know if it's an immigrant perception or a perspective that like the next generation is always supposed to be better than the one before. So I think it kind of relates maybe to the reason behind strict parenting that they want their kids to do better and maybe they don't see the results now and maybe because they haven't realized that maybe strict parenting might have some negative effects in the future for how their kids can be more successful than them. That's why they continue to do it because that's the way they felt they exceeded their parents' success. So they feel that if they do that again, then their kids will succeed their own success. Mm -hmm. And I guess maybe to kind of tie up everything we've been talking about in this episode, learning what we've learned about strict parenting and authoritarian parenting and how its effects and it's not only effects on your children, but maybe even on your country's economy. Um, What do we think if we were to be parents right now in the United States, um, all of us being, you know, I would say middle class, upper middle class, you know, 
um, individuals? What do we think? How, how would we feel it necessary to parent our kids? I think, I don't know. I feel like I wouldn't really, I just want my kid when I have one to, I don't really care about the success. I just want them to be passionate about something. I know that sounds really cheesy. And like, that's what everyone does. Like, oh, that's what you get to college. Be passionate about something. So you get a good job. Be passionate about something. But I feel strict parenting kind of takes away that passion because they make them stick to whatever the core is. For example, like STEM, like a lot of strict parents, their kids do well in STEM and things like that. So I think I would parent in a way that like, as you says, invest in them, but invest in their passions, not just in like, I want them to be good at STEM. I wouldn't invest in something that I want them to do. I would invest in something that they want themselves to do. Because I think that's where you see the most growth. That is the corniest thing. <laughs> I know. Okay. <laughs> okay. But I feel like it's true, though. It, it sounds really, I know it sounds corny. It sounds like a cliche, but I think it's true. No, it's genuine. We appreciate genuine comments on here. Not just sarcastically, but we appreciate them. I think it's a nice person award that Donna got at the beginning after she really roasted my kid. <laughs> <laughs> but in all seriousness, like, what do you think, Donna? I would like to say that I would place raising my child in a broader international context of looking at how, like, (laughs) all of that works, but I think my first and foremost instinct would just to kind of, like, make them a happy individual, you know, like, and try to just create a positive environment for them to be happy people. Like, all jokes aside, I don't want a depressed child, (laughs) and I think my parenting would just kind of, like, try to pause that. And you said I was cheesy. She's like, I just want them to be happy. <laughs> I also love, like, I know I brought up this question, but, like, we're, like, 15 and 16. <laughs> and we're out here, like, trying to analyze all of parenting. But, yeah, I think I agree with both of you, obviously. I, you know, you have to set some rules, you know. That's just in the way it is. But I, I would want my children to not hate me and, you know be happy people and be passionate and want to do something with their lives Um, i think we all just want to be good people i think the conclusion of this is just it is we are arguably the least qualified people to be talking about parenting (laughs) and we know it yeah i think that's a good way to wrap it up i think we've yeah yeah so um Thank you, everybody, for listening. And shout out to um, our international listeners, if they're actually international listeners. We were looking at our stats, and we saw yeah. that we have listeners in, like, Serbia, Singapore, Denmark. Um, so if those aren't people using VPNs and you guys actually live in, like, Serbia and Singapore and you're listening to this podcast, um, comment on one of our um, posts or YouTube channel videos or anything, because... We think that's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> we really hope it's not just people using VPN, but we we wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> um, but thank you to everybody for listening. Um, we hope you all have a good week. Feel free to rate us. You know, five stars never hurts. <laughs> um, or just leave us feedback. You know, we are starting out new. And if you do think we could change something, you know, we are happy for constructive criticism. Um, so... I guess this bye. Bye. See you guys bye. later. See you next week.